So we've been talking about the kingdom of God the past six weeks. Uh, we've got one more Sunday in this before we move on. Uh, we could talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven for many more weeks. It was the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else, as you know by far. These are a couple of things that we remember and have learned about the kingdom of God, that it's not a country or a place or a geographic region, that it's not up there somewhere, that it's not a strictly future reality, but rather it's available to us. Uh, it's accessible to us here and now in this space, in our lives, currently, presently, today. We know when we read in Matthew's gospel the words, the kingdom of heaven, that Jesus means exactly what, that Matthew means what Jesus says elsewhere in the scriptures, the kingdom of God, that those are synonymous phrases or terms, and that heaven, again, isn't just after we die, but Jesus talks about the king, the kingdom, or the reality, or the realm, or the rule of God here and now today. So kingdom of heaven equals kingdom of God. And then we talked about also that kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God means the authority of God to rule, the rule of God in people's lives, the active rule of God in our lives, the reality in which what God wills is done. The people make up the kingdom, the people over whom God rules actively, and that the kingdom is all about the king. And we've talked about also how the kingdom of God is advancing. Jesus says it's coming, it's active, it's dynamic, it's moving, it's organic, we might even say. The kingdom of God is advancing, it enters us, we enter it, it is around us, among us, and in us. And we know from the scriptures that Jesus says again and again, it's accessible, it's real, it's here. Take advantage, embrace it. Jesus also says that this kingdom, and I want you to think about this as we go through all of this uh, scripture this morning, the kingdom is the gospel. The good news is the kingdom. Jesus begins his ministry preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom. Not a future up there, out there deal, but there's good news that's coming and that's available to us this morning. We'll talk more about this in the next few minutes. We're again uh, heading into Matthew's gospel. Uh, I've never preached or even taught from this passage of Scripture before as best I know, mostly because it's hard and it's layered and it's complicated and it's difficult and it's offensive. And it describes some things in some ways that uh, part of us may not want to be true. There are so many other passages of Scripture that are simpler, that are easier, that are easier to grasp, easier to embrace, that say things in ways that we would like them said that have words in Jesus' mouth that seem nicer and more consistent with Jesus. I don't know why I do this to myself sometimes other than to affirm that all Scripture, there's not good Scripture and bad Scripture, relevant Scripture and irrelevant Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is true and truth, and it's worthy of our reading, our study, our learning, our shaping our lives together. All Scripture belongs to God and witnesses to God all Scripture reminds us and teaches us not only about God, but also about ourselves. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, let's pray before we get into it. Join me. God, again, we ask that you would help us to take all of the things in our minds, all of our worries and concerns and distractions, all of our responsibilities, all of the things that weigh on us, and help us to set them aside to be clear-minded here together for a few minutes, to be fully attentive to your word. Give us eyes that are good to see, 
ears that are good to hear, hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word. I pray and ask as always that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way are inconsistent with your word, may they not even be heard. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now continuing with the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, we've kind of been making our way through and we're getting uh, toward the end. We're not covering all of Matthew, but just bits and pieces. Listen closely. Matthew 22, starting at verse 1, this is the Word of God. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Just think about that for a moment. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business, to the things that they did to their work. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. He had no response. He had no words. He was baffled. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And I thought about just leaving off those last few verses, verse 11, 12, 13, 14, or maybe even just leaving off verse 14 because they were too hard and too distracting. And, we could just, and maybe you would not look in a real Bible and you would never know <laughs> that those verses, those sayings, those words of Jesus were also a part of this passage. They are. And in so many ways, this is an awful story. It's not what we would expect from Jesus But remember, this is a parable, and parables have points. Sometimes parables have multiple points. And not every facet of a parable is necessarily meant to be taken literally. But every aspect of a parable is intended always to be taken seriously. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of God is like. Jesus, again, is eager to describe describe for his disciples, his students, his apprentices, and all who will listen what the reign of God is like, what the rule of God is like, what the reality of God's activity is like, what the intersection of heaven and earth are like, what heaven advancing on earth and bursting forth into pockets and in places of our everyday world looks like. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son, He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. That's what the kingdom of God is like. But they refuse to come. And Jesus has in his his mind at least a couple of different sets of people at this point. Maybe a couple of different interpretations of his parable. The first set of people includes the prophets of the Old Testament whom God 
sent to Israel to call Israel back to himself, to call them to repentance, which we talked about on Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, to call them from their rebellion, to call them from their waywardness, and to call them home, to call them to relationship, to call them to faithfulness. But Israel so often rejected the message of the prophets. The people of Israel rejected God's invitation to return to him, to come home, to come to the banquet. And more than that, Israel not only disregarded the prophets and their message, but sometimes killed the prophets, God's messengers. And God was going to have his banquet anyway, though. His son would be honored. And and so God invites another group of people, another tier of people. Verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet's ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the New Testament understands this group of people to be the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, people from every nation and tribe. They will get an invitation. They do get an invitation, both the good and the bad. But of course, that was difficult, if not impossible, for the Jewish people to hear and even harder for them to embrace. There had been this understanding among Jewish people for thousands of years that they and they alone were God's chosen people, that that God was for no others, that God loved them above all other people and maybe them alone. They alone had been chosen. They alone were in. They imagined in the deceitfulness of their thinking and the hubris that comes with centuries of thinking about oneself as a people so far above other people in God's eyes, that they alone belonged to God, and this was true probably because they were good, they thought, good in some ways while others were bad in other ways. And that is so often what we tend to do. We think of ourselves as the good guys and the others not only as other but as bad, lacking, deficient. We still do this in the ways that we think about people who are different than ourselves, people of different backgrounds, different skin colors, different languages, people who immigrated from different nations, who were raised in different faiths. And so subconsciously, we are good, they are bad. And we see through the New Testament, and so poignantly and powerfully, especially in the book of Acts, how difficult this was, even for Jesus closest, most devoted and faithful followers, disciples, friends, to imagine and realize that God loved Gentile people also. It's just over and over and over in the book of Acts, a difficult concept for them to grasp, to embrace. As just as much as God loved Jewish people that he loved others as well, after centuries of rigid thinking and centuries of self-absorption and cultural isolation, and one might say centuries of racism. The Jewish people couldn't get their minds around the idea that maybe, just maybe, God might invite other people to his banquet as well, but God did, God does. Are there people that you have thought are beyond God's reach or beyond God's interest or might actually people, God might actually be glad to invite to his banquet. 
I'm really encouraged. Uh, and what Walter spoke a little bit earlier was not the first, of course, that we've heard of this. If you're new here at First Pres or haven't been around for a number of years, we've had the privilege and joy of being engaged to and knowing Indian Christians and have seen the invitation over the last 10, 15 years go out more and more and more and more to people of India, to people in the backwaters, to people on the edges and in the dark corners that God has extended and is extending and will continue to extend through a bus His invitation to a great banquet and to a great feast. And there must also be bad people, not that they are bad, but there must also be other bad people that God is inviting, people we haven't thought about, people the Jews didn't expect. And in this parable in which Jesus describes what the kingdom of God is like, he certainly also refers to a second group of people as well. There's a second meaning to this parable. It was directed at Jesus' disciples to those whom he had sent out as witnesses, evangelists, messengers, proclaimers. And to them, Jesus declares, don't stop telling. Don't stop going. Don't stop inviting If those to whom you have been sent don't respond or won't respond, tell others, invite others, and do not be discouraged. Some of you will be mistreated. Some of you, early church, first century church, Jesus' first followers, some of you will be killed. As Christians are being killed every day today in Nigeria, in the name of Jesus, and in other places around the world. The message is, do not be discouraged. Keep inviting. Keep telling. God has lengthened and broadened and deepened and diversified his invitation list so that it includes all people. Ordinarily, when a couple prepare uh, an invitation list for their wedding, like Karen and I did a gazillion years ago, like most people do when they're planning a wedding, They've sort of got capacity. The venue has capacity or their budget has capacity. And so they sort of kind of draw the circle about who they're going to invite and how many they can invite. God's invitation list is apparently not like that. He has incredible capacity. His love never fails. His love never drains out. His love has no limits. And so keep inviting. And then finally, there's the difficult matter of verses 11 through 14. The king comes to see his guests. He notices a man is not wearing wedding clothes. He is apparently not appropriately dressed. And clearly, this is not a reference to a person's literal garments or attire. It's not speaking to a person's fashion choices or lack thereof. God doesn't care what a person wears, if they wear jeans or slacks or a dress or a skirt or a coat or a tie. To home, at home or at school or at work or to the store or to church. Rather, in this parable, the guest's wedding clothes or lack thereof of appropriate clothes refer to a person's outward life, to his or her actions, to his or her life, to his or her love or lack of love, to his or her embracing the way of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the way, the path, the spirit of Jesus. A person may be invited to God's banquet and a person may say yes to that invitation and a person may even show up to the banquet 
metaphorically or in their mind. But part of the message of this parable is that how one shows up at the banquet matters. And it apparently matters a lot. A person is invited by God's grace by no merit of his or her own. But in saying yes to the banquet for the Son, which represents life in Christ or eternal life or the kingdom of God or salvation, a person is invited and even empowered to live differently, to live a different sort of life, to grow in and take on the righteousness of God, to live and to take on and to grow in and grow into the righteousness of God. Say that with me. The righteousness of God. We're sort of hooked on that word and think of self-righteousness when we hear it, when we say it. That's not at all what Jesus, what the scriptures mean by the word righteousness. Rather, they refer to the word, rather righteousness refers to justice. The good way, goodness. An upright life, loving, perfected. Righteousness. A, person's, a person is invited by God's grace, not by any merit of their own, but they are invited along the way and in that to grow in righteousness. You may remember from the passage earlier in Matthew's gospel that we read and studied last week that Jesus said that the antidote and the alternative, the alternative that he offers to worry, to worry and anxiety and stress was and is to seek first the kingdom and righteousness. Seek first the kingdom and righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. All of these things that you want, all of these things you yearn for, all of the things you need, God will provide as we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Understand that there is a part of the kingdom of God coming that involves us going God's way, being obedient to his calling, walking in his teaching. Matthew's going to go on three chapters later in chapter 25 to have Jesus there teaching things that we remember and heard. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I did not have clothes, you clothed me. When I was hungry. And Matthew is really attentive to this aspect of the kingdom coming that involves a growing righteousness in a person's life. To see the kingdom come in pockets and pods and places involves the righteousness of God being manifest. Are you with me in this? Do you remember back from our study of Colossians Last fall, Paul wrote this to the Colossians who were already saved, already experiencing eternal life, already in. He wrote, therefore, as God's chosen people, as God's invited people, as people who have already accepted, received, acknowledged, and embraced that invitation, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another's grievances. Whatever grievance you may have one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, put on love. Put on, dress yourself in. The wedding clothes are love that God gives us. 
and over all these things put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Per what we talked about on Wednesday, this involves repentance and change and doing something different and throwing away our old clothes and putting on the new clothes of the kingdom. It's not enough. I don't like the way that sounds. God invites us not only to enter his kingdom by saying yes, by showing up, by going to church, by being a member of a church, by being a Christian, but also invites us into putting on clothes, the clothes of his kingdom, the clothes of love, the clothes of righteousness, and therefore bring about his kingdom with and in participation with God. And so Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a king who has a son who's getting married, who's being united, who is wedding, not in this case a woman, but a people, the church. And he says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like a king who so dearly loves his son and wants to celebrate and so is going to invite and invite and invite. He's not hosting a funeral. He's not hosting a sporting event. He's not hosting a concert. He's hosting an event that inherently will be filled not with somberness, but with joy and with gladness and with celebration. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And the kingdom of God is like people who having heard about the joy of the king and the celebration that is to come, go out and invite and invite and invite. And the kingdom of God is like people that no one ever would have planned or expected, being invited, getting an invitation. Have you ever invited someone to something that you were hosting or to an event or to go somewhere with you? Someone who thought, wow, I can't believe that person would invite me. Have you ever been that person who thought, wow, I can't believe that person invited me to go with them? I'm loved, I'm involved, I'm included, I'm appreciated, I have value. The kingdom of God is like an invitation being extended to Dalit people, to untouchable people, to people on the very bottom of the world cast who the world has given no attention to and only said to clean our gutters and clean our sewers, this is your value. And the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is an invitation to them, to a party and to a festival and to a banquet where they will eat and be satisfied and filled and full of joy. And the kingdom of God sometimes involves inviting when there are risks to ourselves. There are risks for us. And the kingdom of God means putting on the clothes that God gives us, the clothes of righteousness, the clothes of love, the clothes of patience and humility and gentleness and compassion. And when and as we do what we can do in our part in this, the kingdom advances and the kingdom shows up and the kingdom appears and the kingdom becomes manifest. And God is glorified and we are satisfied. Fast forward to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, where things are a little bit more forward-looking. John writes, 
Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! I will sing a hallelujah. I will sing a hallelujah. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Who is the bride? The church. She has made herself ready. She has put on the clothes of a wedding. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And this is what the Scriptures say in parentheses. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy, loved, set-apart, called people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. We bow before you, God, in worship and in awe and in joy. Delighted at an opportunity to gather around this table, grateful that you, in your goodness and providence, saw fit to invite even unworthy souls like us to your banquet table, to your banquet feast. As we eat and drink, open our eyes, remind us, fill us with your spirit, unite us with yourself, grow us in love, help us to be clothed in righteousness, bring glory to yourself. Thank you for loving us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.